Hello and welcome back to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and today we are talking the first season of Doctor Who. And to get more specific, the Christopher Eccleston season of Doctor Who from 2005, the reintroduction to the series. I do have to get a little bit specific because there's now potentially three season ones. I, I don't know, it's getting kind of confusing, but... It's fine. So there's, of course, the original season one with the very original Doctor back in the 60s. Then, of course, the Christopher Eccleston reintroduction to the Doctor. And then there's a possibility that the newest season of Doctor Who is going to be considered season one. But I think that might just be how they were vaguely referring to it when they were, like, writing it. Like, during production, they were referring to it as, like, season one. Or like a season one. I don't know. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. We're talking Eccleston, baby. So, we have 14 episodes to get through. And th that's a lot. I went over my history in the previous episode. When we were talking about the 60th anniversary specials. To sum it up real quick. I had a friend in high school. Who pretty much recommended the series to me. I watched the series. I enjoyed it. I had some bumps. Because I found that season one's a bit of an awkward way to introduce you to the character but overall I was able to enjoy it watch it watched it all the way up to and partially through the Capaldi era dropped off tried to pick it back up with the 13th doctor the Jodie Whittaker doctor but didn't the trying to repick it up didn't stick so I ended up well just waiting now I'm at a point where there's a yet another new doctor coming and I would like to be ready so I am trying to catch up as fast as I can, or at least trying to catch up in general, with the previous Doctors to get back up to where I didn't leave off. You know, try to get all the way caught up and get ready for the newest Doctor. Now what will end up probably happening in the end is I'll probably still be catching up while I watch the new Doctor. Because I, I watched the, the 60th anniversary special, that's almost enough to get by. So, yeah. <laughs> Anywho... That's kind of the, the quick recap version of of the the history. Now, like I said earlier, there are 14 episodes to get through. How are we going to do that? Well, because of the fact that there's not necessarily arcs, per se, it's just kind of one big story, but mostly episodic, we're going to break it up by episode, briefly talk story, talk special effects, talk um, certain things, and I... I and when there are two-parters, because there are a few two-parters, I would like to discuss whether or not it needed to be a two-parter. Like, pretty, pretty much just, was it worth it to be a two-parter? Because, again, there are a few, although it's not necessarily labeled, I should be able to vaguely pinpoint which ones are or aren't two-parters. Now, let's get something out of the way real quick. Something that I do appreciate, that this season does technically have a bit of an overarching story. It's not that prominent, though time does move forward and there are consequences and things are referenced from earlier in the season, brought forward and whatnot. And I'm going to also say that for the purposes of some arguments, we are going to kind of assume that unless otherwise told, events are happening relatively chronologically and not much if anything, is happening between the episodes. Because for the most part, it is heavily implied that we are picking up where the previous episode left off, again, except for in certain circumstances. 
So, with that said, let's start diving in. Now this season, with some background for it, comes after the TV movie that I think came in the 90s, which came after the cancellation of the show, I believe, in the 80s. Of course, at that point, it was at season 27. So, yeah, a lot. This is supposed to be the post-war Doctor. I think you see the Time War in the TV movie. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't watched it. I might in the future, but as of now, I have not watched it. So, the Time War is a war between the Time Lords and the Daleks. The Doctor supposedly set it up to where both the Time Lords and the Daleks got completely wiped out. So now he is the only Time Lord left. That's kind of the precursor to where we are now. That's kind of the main event tying into this season. So we begin with episode one, Rose. We follow Rose Tyler, kind of as she's doing her work, her day-to-day work, uh, working at a store. She's set to close up shop when something weird starts happening. The mannequins are kind of coming to life and attacking. She ends up running into the doctor, who ends up kind of blowing up the building. There's mass confusion and whatnot. It's on the news and everything. And this brief encounter with the doctor brings up a bunch of questions. So she starts doing a bunch of research into him, comes across a website uh, called whoisthedoctor.com and starts digging into the blog and whatnot, meets up with the guy, sees that he he is... Uh, He's been keeping track of doctor sightings and doing a bunch of research into the doctor. He found that he seems to appear throughout time. Now, he doesn't necessarily straight up... He doesn't say that, oh, he's a time traveler. He seems to think that it might be a title passed down through a family. But, anyhow, after that, it turns out that the the plastic of the mannequins was is is living plastic and the bins attack mickey rose's boyfriend and he he becomes plastic they go to dinner and uh the doctor interrupts and saves rose as plastic mickey chases them down it's eventually they're able to pinpoint where the plastic is coming from it's this kind of boiling vat near the the eye the big ferris wheel in london and so they go, confront the living plastic, defeat it. In the end, Rose leaves with the Doctor. Uh, Mickey is fine. They find him in the area with the living plastic. But he he doesn't want to go with. So Rose just leaves him behind and she goes off adventuring. And that's the first episode. It is a bit of a rushed version of the plot, but that is pretty much it. So... The effects are okay. The mannequins themselves are okay, but the, the heads of them are like very big because it's obviously people in suits. Uh, the the hands kind of like fold down at like finger joint, and they they have guns in them for some reason. But they there. There's a scene where a bunch of them start attacking the like downtown market area and whatnot, which is, was not. Not bad. It looked pretty good. And I believe in that scene is when the guy who owned the blog gets killed, I think. But yeah, so the overall story is okay. 
And I feel that this is both the perfect and also a bad way to introduce people to Doctor Who. Because when I, when I watched it, I was kind of going in expecting some cheese, but boy howdy was this cheesy. It, it was a lot cheesier than I was expecting. So I went into this kind of, like, like I said, I was expecting at least some level of cheese because, you know, at the time when I was kind of vaguely looking into it, there was clips here and there of like, oh, there's, you know, the Weeping Angels, the Cybermen, the Daleks. And that's kind of what I was expecting from the first episode. Something kind of big, grand, like those, the namestay things. But instead what I was given was mannequins. But the reason why I do feel that this is probably one of the perfect ways of introducing you to, to the Doctor and kind of easing you into the universe is that it does just that. It eases you into the universe. It doesn't overwhelm you with centuries-old combat and whatnot. Though there is some references to some things, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But it does ease you in relatively, you know, nice. You know, it's not Cybermen, it's not Daleks, it's not Weeping Angels, which, while famous, weren't a legacy thing at the time. It also helps set your expectations for the future. You now know this show is cheesy as hell at times, so you just roll with the fucking cheese, man. You just sit there and you roll with it. You're going to get some sci-fi bullshit thrown in your face. That's pretty much how Doctor Who rolls. They will just throw out fucking sci-fi techno babble. And you'll just be like, okay, yeah, sure. And then just move on. Just close your eyes and move on. It's fine. You will you will hear them just throw out a bullshit sci-fi name. And you'll be like, sure. That works. That explains, sure. <laughs> this one thing worked this one time. But it won't work again because of this thing. Okay, sure. Like I said, it just kind of helps set your expectations to roll with it. Doctor Who gets weird. Roll with it. And in this next episode, it continues to further help with the setting of expectations in terms of tone, as well as in terms of, you know, kind of weird. Because in the sequel, or the second episode, not sequel, in the second episode... It's a bit more of a grounded episode, not so living plastic and cheesy mannequins. It changes up what it's doing in a nice way, but we will we'll talk about that in a second. Now, some of the things that starts referencing, and it goes into this more into the second episode, is it starts referencing stuff that happened ages ago. And if you're hopping into this now, you'll be completely unaware of what the hell's going on. But, especially in the first episode, it doesn't interfere enough for it to really affect the episode. Now, onto the second episode. Sorry, I meant the third episode. The third episode is where things get a lot more grounded, technically. Because episode two, I forgot, is the end of the world. The one I was thinking of was the unquieted dead. That's the third episode. That's the one that's more grounded. The second episode is the end of the world. It once again, continues to help set expectations. Specifically, this is supposed to help give the new companion, Rose, a bit of perspective on just how crazy these scenarios could get and how heavy it could get by showing her the death of Earth. So he takes her to the year 5 billion when the sun expands and consumes the Earth. Now, by this time... Everything's relatively fine. 
The people have been moved off the planet long ago. The last human is on board the space station that they're on. And it's everyone's there for a viewing party. It also introduces the psychic paper. Because he, he just like flips it out. Shows a person like, oh, you know, we're supposed to be here. And they're like, oh, you're early. Kind of thing. But, yeah. So, that's what the end of the world's basic plot is. Is that they're on this space station to watch the end of the earth world. When something starts to go wrong. Something has been let loose on the ship. And is causing, you know, people to die. Cause, but mostly by taking the heat shields and lowering them to where people get cooked by the sun. The ever-expanding sun. Yeah, so through this, there's like a little bit of a mystery element going on. It's, it's a little bit of a, a murder mystery at the end of the world. Rose gets immediately jealous of a tree woman who seems to be flirting with the doctor. And she kind of just wanders off. Ends up almost dying when the heat shield opens in her, the viewing bay that she's in. And the doctor has to go on a mad chase to, well, put things right and fix the station to save the people. And in the end, it's revealed that the last human is the one that was trying to kill kill the people off. And she ends up being dried out. And it, it, it shows that the doctor, this version of the doctor, he is a bit brutal when it comes to some of his solutions for things. Uh, I... Although I think in this one, it's partially Rose as well that helps helps with the letting of letting her dry. Because at this point, the last human is like a stretched out bit of skin. It, it, it's a commentary on like cosmetic surgeries, essentially. That, you know, taken to the extreme, you'll end up as a sh thin sheet of skin being ever so lightly moisturized constantly. Uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty much that episode. It's... I think the story is okay. The bickering can be a bit annoying at times, but that's that's kind of a consistency of throughout the rest of the series. Because the, there's a lot of arguments that tend to crop up. And it is... I, I find the messaging behind this first journey quite interesting, but I feel it could have been replaced with an episode that came, comes later on, as that episode feels like a first journey episode and the argument there within also feels like a first journey episode but we will get to that in a minute the effects of this are quite nice there's the introduction of the face of Bo, which becomes a long plot thread throughout the series there's also the so the tree woman's design is nice the the last human's design is nice. The bug creatures are pretty cool. All in all, the, the creature design in in this episode is really interesting. And again, it's a nice weighty thing. Then the third episode. This is the one that I was talking about as being the one that has like kind of the opposite of the silly spectrum. I guess you could say that the first episode's silly. The second episode's whimsical. And then this one is the grounded episode. So in this time, because they went so far forward in the first advent proper adventure, the end of the world, this time Rose wants to go back in time. So they go to 1869 in Victorian Cardiff. So the basic plot of this episode is that the dead are walking. I can't remember fully why they came 
to Victorian Cardiff, maybe to see a play, maybe just to look about. But anywho, they go there and they end up meeting Charles Dickens. They come across the the um, morticians that are having a bit of an issue. The dead are walking. They don't know why, but they are. So after a bit of an investigation with Charles Dickens, who doesn't believe in ghosts or anything, they figure out that it is a species that has been kind of exiled due to the Time War. They became refugees and survive in this ethereal form. And they've been harboring themselves in the dead in order to try and live, essentially. But, well, they can't do that. So they have one of the mortician lady, the mortician's assistant, she volunteers to help open the rift. She has, like, she's been able to have, like, some of these powers, some, like, pseudo-psychic powers, and she she's willing to use them to bring the geth through. But it turns out that the geth do not have pure intentions. So, in a last-ditch effort, she volunteers to help close the rift, or at least close them out of the rift. When the when Rose tries to save her, the doctor tells tells Rose that she was already dead. They leave, they have a final conversation with Charles Dickens, and you know, he plans on writing about the story and whatnot, but sadly he is, you know, close to his death date. Because the year is 1869 and I believe he either dies the following year or something like that. But he he either doesn't get a chance to or he does. And it's, of course, one of his lesser known things. That's usually what Doctor Who brings up is like, oh, you know, that lesser known work of this this author is inspired by an interaction with the Doctor kind of thing. Which we'll get to talk about in a future episode at some point. I don't know what season, though. But anyway, <laughs> but what I mean by this being more grounded is, well, it's a period piece, and most of the period episodes tend to be grounded and also tend to revolve around ghosts a lot of the time, now that I think about it. <laughs> but this one, you know, it, it's more serious, and one of the main characters ends up dead in the end. You know, one of the main characters, at least of the episode, is dead by the end of the episode. So it shows a darker precedent for for the future. I mean, yes, in the first episode, one of the at least people that was interacted with died, but honestly, I I had forgotten that he died. It, it's easy to forget that he he ends up dying. The only reason I I was reminded that he died is that I looked at a a thing for a character at some point and he was like, "Oh yeah, they ended up taking over the website for this guy who died." And I was like, oh, okay, sure. But yeah, so that is, that's the Unquieted Dead. The effects are pretty good. I mean, it's mostly makeup. You know, pe people uh, made to look dead. And then, like, ghost animations. So for the most part, it's pretty good. The costuming's fantastic. Uh, you know, flowy dresses and bonnets and shit. Gotta love that. And the set design is nice and classical. But then we move on to our first two-parter. So, it's not labeled as a two-parter, but it is a two-parter. It is Aliens of London and World War III. So, Aliens of London is Rose and the Doctor go 
back to London. He expects that it's only been about... He, he either said that it's been 12 hours or it's been 12 days. But it's been 12 months. It's been a year. And she's been presumed dead by most people. Her mother had pinned... Had blamed Mickey, claiming that he most likely murdered her. Yeah. So th there's missing posters all around and everything. And Mickey couldn't exactly explain what happened because no one would, of course, believe him that she was taken by a man in a blue box. So there's there's that. Uh, meanwhile, while that drama unfolds, there is a bit of an issue at 10 Downing Street. The... Prime Minister's gone missing, and all of a sudden, a spaceship has crashed it into the Thames. So, what, what's going on there? A body's been recovered, and the doctor really wants to investigate, but they can't. He doesn't want to take the TARDIS to the spaceship, because, you know, it's adding a spaceship on top of a spaceship, which would just cause so many issues. So he decides, you know, do it by foot, but they can't get close enough, so they go back and watch it on TV. As things unfold, a body is recovered from the spaceship, and eventually he decides to go and investigate. Once the body's been recovered, he takes the TARDIS to the hospital and goes goes a-looking. Turns out, it's a pig. It's just a normal pig. Again, back at 10 Downing Street, there's a revelation that, you know, things, are, things aren't quite right. Because a bunch of people have been brought in. A lot of the MPs have been brought in, most likely to discuss the alien issue, but, you know, because the Prime Minister's missing, one of them's been made acting Prime Minister. And it turns out he's an alien. He goes to investigate what's going on at 10 Downing Street because, well, he's brought in after Rose's mom, Jackie, calls in a tip to the tip line, and Rose and the Doctor are apprehended and taken to 10 Downing Street. And is brought in and put with a group of of um, other scientists and whatnot. The doctor comes to the realization that it's a trap to get all of the scientists to 10 Downing Street to kill them. But, while well, it might kill humans, it won't kill the doctor. The doctor, well, actually that's where that episode ends, is him getting electrocuted. And, you know, the aliens kind of revealing themselves to certain people. So Jackie... A policeman goes to Jackie's house, is an alien. Uh, Rose and one of the MPs, not the alien MPs, but the, a normal MP, are in a, in a boardroom with an alien. And then, yeah, then the alien revealing themselves to the, the board, or not the board, the, uh, the kind of council of scientists and military people experts. But that's how the episode ends, is with the electrocution. The next episode begins with the electrocution and the Doctor taking his electrocuted name badge and putting it on one of the aliens, electrocuting them, then running to go get some soldiers to get them over to, you know, help take care of the aliens. But by the time they get back, they've been able to pull the electrocution tag off and redress in the skin and whatnot. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Which is part of something that we will talk about uh, a little bit later, which is the the next time on and previously on uh, tags. We'll, we'll talk about those later, but 
yeah, the, that's kind of what this was part of. Then, it's pretty much them running around 10 Downing Street for the majority of the episode, trying to avoid the aliens, which they find out are the Slovene. Now, the Slovene is a family of a specific species, though the species isn't given a name, at least not in this episode. They are pretty much a crime family, like kind of like a space mafia, and they, they're trying to sell off the Earth or something. It's, their, their motivation isn't explained all too well, but essentially what they're trying to do is get access to the nuclear codes to start World War Three, to, I guess, wipe humanity off the planet so that they could, like, sell the planet or something. Again, their plan's not fully fleshed out. <laughs> but basically, like, at least some details are. Their plan was to, one, use the uh, false alien to bring in all the specialists, kill the specialists, and then after that part of the plan was kind of well, successful, yet slightly, ever so slightly foiled because the Doctor survived. Then their plan either shifts to, or was in the beginning, to claim that they have weapons in orbit and need access to the world's nuclear codes so that they could nuke the weapons, but instead would nuke other countries, thus kicking off World War Three. Humanity would then, you know, kill itself. At least, again, that's the theory. Meanwhile, there is like this massive hunt going on where the Slovene are going through hunting um, the Doctor and Rose and the one of the MPs. And it's just this big kerfuffle. Until, at the end, the Doctor is able, with Mickey's assistance, to get a missile launched from a sub submarine and hit 10 Downing Street. And they're safe in a protected room that uh has like three three inches or something like that of steel it's like super thick so only that room ends up surviving with the doctor rose and the mp yeah the building goes goes up and that's kind of the end of that episode so as the first two-parter was it worth the two-parter not really the aliens plan kind of ends up shifting a little bit between episodes, and we're not entirely sure if that was, like, their original plan or not. The alien threat isn't really that big for a two-parter. It's one alien family that's taken over, yeah, the government, but at the same time, it... I don't know, it didn't feel like it was taken as seriously as it should be. Especially since the aliens that were used for this concept... While the overall concept's kind of interesting, it's mostly played for a joke. The aliens are big, but they wear hu human skin as, like, a suit. And in order to do that, they have these, like, compression things that squeeze them down so that they can fit in the suit. But that act of compression, the compression gases released from that, you know, pop out. And pretty much, it's just fart joke after fucking fart joke, and it's just not good it's not great so like as a threat and whatnot it's just not great and i feel like they could have done the entirety of the plot in the one episode but yeah i mean i mean sure you know there's the mystery component to the first one and then the action component in the second one but it just it's just not very satisfying for the first main two-parter of the series you know 
the alien threat's not that threatening. The action's not that great. The it it felt like they needed to stretch out stretch it out to two episodes and only wanted to be able to they had to keep it cheap. You know, they couldn't do a grand set or the grand sets from the previous two episodes, you know, the big space station or the big uh you know, time period piece. So they were like, Okay, we'll use the same five sets for two episodes and that that'll be good. That'll be fine. That'll that'll work. And I guess, yeah, it's understandable. But it is made up for a bit by the next episode. Dalek. Episode 6 is Dalek. So, after the thing in preventing World War Three at Downing Street, after they leave that, oh, they get pulled in to a museum in 2012 in beneath the salt plains of Utah. What, what happened? Why are they here? According to them, the doctor was... Like, the TARDIS was forcefully pulled to this museum, responding to a cry for help. Not entirely sure what. They start investigating, looking around, and see that the museum is an alien museum. Not not a museum made by aliens, but a museum to display alien stuff. In there, they see a, one of the Slovene's arms. Whether or not it's actually part of the Slovene family, or just one of the species that the Slovene come from... Who knows? I, I don't. <laughs> but um, one of those arms and a Cyberman head. Now, it's a classic cyber Cyberman head. Very cool. But yeah, so the Doctor has a bit of a touching moment here. Then they are captured by the museum's security, taken away, and kind of interrogated by the owner of the museum, who claims that he owns the internet. And he has this whole, like, shadowy, secretive museum thing for reasons? Question mark? But after having a discussion with the doctor, he, you know, tells the doctor that he has a living specimen. A pet of sorts. So when the doctor goes to investigate with him, he finds that it's a Dalek. Now this is where we can probably start to discuss the... The previously on and next time section. Now, I I do understand part of the purpose of the previously on and next time on sections of episodes. It's to, well, when shows run week to week, it's very easy to forget what happened last week. And it's also very easy to forget what happened five weeks ago. You know, if you are looking, looking um, at something that came previously like way previously on so it it's understandable that you'll want to catch people up but at the same time it ruins any surprise really for example with this after the world war three episode the next time on was doing a decent job of hiding the big twist of well i mean technically it's not a big twist if the episode's name is dalek but at the same time it's, you know, a bit of a twist if you don't know the title or you don't know what's coming up. But in the next time on, it sh straight up shows the Dalek. So you're like, okay, well, there it is. And we know it gets out and starts attacking people and whatnot. So it gets a little bit ruined. And the previously on, we'll talk about how the previously on kind of ruins a twist later. So we'll save it for there. But, well, actually, we can talk about it a little bit with uh, World War Three. So with World War Three, the previously on transitions straight into the episode, technically. Because it's 
shows everything leading up to it and then when it gets to the electrocution part instead of just ending and starting the episode it continues on immediately with the doctor now you know taking his electrocution thing and putting it on the slovene that kind of locks you into watching most of the previously on although technically most of them you can kind of ignore yeah so the, the dalek surprise kind of gets a little bit ruined but yeah so the doctor ends up getting really angry with the dalek of course as they were the primary combatants in the time war he tells the dalek that well he's the last of the daleks and the doctor is the last of the time lords so they are the last of their people and the doctor then tries to proceed to murder the dalek he does this by trying to electrocute it because it's tied up to electrocution the internet guy this entire time he he wants the dalek to talk but the dalek refuses to talk except for to the doctor of course because well the doctor is the one person that the daleks fear the the whole situation is kind of cut off by the internet guy and he, the internet guy tries to get him to talk again meanwhile rose has been chatting with one of the assistants like one of the internet guy's assistants or specifically the curator slash uh archaeologist or whatever basically he's the one that helps curate the museum he takes the stuff in processes them puts them off to the side to you know for display and whatnot so while they're talking he talks about how he wants to see more than just the stuff in a case he wants to be able to see the world or see the universe or whatnot rose throws out the possibility of him joining her and the doctor while not necessarily stating what her and the doctor do then he shows her the dalek on the computer screen and they're able to see that you know they're, they're obviously torturing the dalek he offers to take her down there using his special clearance and whatnot to get in to look at the dalek they're able to get in and rose has a conversation with the dalek in which she talks about how could theoretically be free and whatnot because she doesn't know the context because she hasn't had really any kind of conversation with the doctor about daleks she ends up touching the dalek after stating that she doesn't she's not scared of the dalek she touches the dalek and it begins to heal and regenerate after it sequences her dna they flee and it's able to then break free get out of the room and it starts absorbing electricity to fully heal itself in a pretty cool scene actually then like there's a big rush around and then there's a big conversation about you know killing it even though it can't really they have the issue of not really being able to kill it and the, the whole panic and rush through getting everyone that they can out specifically rose of course because she's still down there and whether or not they should just seal off the entirety of the bunker and just try to trap it down there but they have trouble because the guy doesn't want it to be killed the internet guy doesn't want it to be killed there's a massive delay in there trying to stop it which ends up getting a ton of people killed as the dalek goes through and in the last ditch effort they do seal off the bunker even though there's like no power they reroute the emergency power to specifically seal off the bunker rose ends up trapped on the other side of the door and it's presumed that she dies but it turns out that the dalek wasn't able to actually kill her because it's feeling pretty much fear and empathy and whatnot through having taken some of her dna to complete itself so after a bit of a scene where the doctor goes to get a, a weapon and there's a big rush to get down there to try to save her she's able to have a conversation with the dalek the dalek ends up Coming, coming to the conclusion that it, it's able to feel more emotions now, one, which Daleks aren't supposed to be able to do. 
it's trying to feel the sun and everything, and the doctor wants to kill it, but it ends up killing itself after it realizes it's it's not a pure, you know, quote unquote pure Dalek anymore. And its last question to Rose before it kills itself is, "Are you scared?" She says yes, and it replies, oh, "So am I." And then it proceeds to kill itself. But that concludes that episode. At the end, the internet guy gets his comeuppance from one of his assistants. The doctor and Rose end up taking the curator guy with them. And, you know, it's implied that, ah, he's going to become the next big companion and whatnot. Or the next companion. An additional companion. But, yeah, so they, they load up and they leave. And this, I believe, leads directly into the next episode, The Long Game. But first, let's discuss the uh, the effects and whatnot of the previous episode. So, like I said, once again, this is like a relatively like closed-in episode. It's a bunch of corridors and shit and a big old staircase. That's like the, the main locations of this episode. But the Dalek, the Dalek's pretty cool because the Dalek has two phases. It has the, the beat-the-fuck-up like broken laser thing and whatnot and then it has its rebuilding sequence where then it gets this nice new shiny body it's it's really cool uh and then of course there's a lot of action throughout the episode as well and explanations about the daleks and whatnot and i'm guessing this was also the first time they addressed the stare issue with the daleks because supposedly it was a big thing in the fandom where like, oh, you know, they're just hovering, or like, trash bins that roll around, so, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to handle stairs. Well, they can hover, <laughs> so they, they float up the stairs. But yeah, so, the story is fine, there's a lot of conflict between Rose and the Doctor in this episode. Uh, their stories are relatively separate, it has a lot of foreshadowing, foreshadowing, and a reoccurring bit from the, the previous episodes where... Well, I say bit, but it's not like a humorous bit. It's a reoccur reoccurring theme of Rose and potential death. Because her mom and, to a lesser extent, Mickey, are constantly asking the doctor, well, can you keep her safe? Can you guarantee you can keep her safe? But, you know, obviously he can't guarantee that. So, yeah, then there was the fact that she almost died at the hands of the Dalek and whatnot. So it kind of becomes a bit of a reoccurring theme but anywho we now move on to episode seven the long game where oh his name's adam the curator guy he's barely in the show he's in the he's in the museum and then he's here in this and then he gets kicked out of the team and we'll we'll talk about that let's talk about that so they arrive on this satellite satellite five now satellite five is the major news broadcasting satellite for earth the doctor is a bit confused when they arrive because things don't seem right to him. The w way humans should be at this point in time isn't quite what's happening. It's not, you know, where it should be. They're supposed to be much more advanced than this. But he, you know, tamps those fears down for a bit to explore. So, well, to explore and investigate and ask questions. He asks two people. You know, like, what's going on? He pretends to be management, you know, is pretending to be management giving them a test and ends up giving, getting a bit of a tour around the place where we're introduced to the fact that there's, like, a door on one person's head and they're, like, all the news is beamed in to their head and, I guess, dispersed out. Uh, this episode also has Simon Pegg in it, so I, I, I say, yeah, 
cool. Simon Pegg does actually pretty good in this. He is the editor in in this. He edits the news and he's, you know, investigating stuff. And while these two people are giving a tour, the editor notices that one of those two people has a forged background. So, promotes her. Now, it is established that promotion is something that is, you know, strived for. They go up to floor 500, where the walls are made of gold. Well, turns out, uh, the walls are made of ice, more. It is would be a closer, closer analogy, because it's frozen up there. Uh, she is sent up, and it turns out her false background is that she was actually... Well, her real background is... That she was a guerrilla fighter, like a resistance fighter from the planet, is up there to, you know, get the answers of what's going on with the news station and why they're sending out false information and whatnot. And to try to take it down, she fails, gets killed. Adam is decided to be a bit cheeky. You know, he's trying to, he, under the guise of going and, you know, pretending to be a citizen of the you know, time period. He goes off to learn as much as he can using um, Rose's phone to take information from the future and record it in the past to use that information later. But the computer cuts him off, saying that he needs access. He needs to go to the medical floor to have a chip installed so that he can actually access the computers. And he starts to go through with it, too. In fact, he goes all the way through with it. When asked by the surgeon whether or not he wants the level 1 chip or the level 2 quote-unquote chip, he vies for level 2 because the doctor gave him pretty much an unlimited money stick. The level 2 chip is the the thing where they have like a door in their head and get the information beamed straight into their head. He, he gets that and he goes and starts trying to get the information beamed into his head and sent to the past so that he can use the information to benefit himself. Meanwhile, the doctor, after the promotion of that woman, is trying to figure out what's going on. He ends up actually getting invited up top to floor 500, starts asking questions, of course, about what's going on. It's explained that the person running it is the editor-in-chief, which is this big creature that looks... Uh, like a uvula with a, with a mouth on it, that it has been controlling the human race for the past X number of years behind the scenes and whatnot. And it produces a lot of heat, so they pump the heat from up the top of the station down to the bottom while keeping it very, very cold up top. Uh, Simon Pegg's character, the editor, he is, represents a consortium of banks and their interests, and they're the ones that helped install the creature in the station to control the people, you know, for money reasons. But he ends up, well, one of the, the, the lady he was talking to, he was able to convince, uh, the lady the doctor was talking to, he was able to convince to pretty much fight back, to show some resistance to, to the news stuff um, through, through subtle speech. And so she goes, uses her little mind thing to stop the one guy because since he since adam sorry since adam was using the machine he was giving the station complete access to the information that he was aware of you know the doctor the tardis etc and so in order to keep the tardis out of you know their hands because 
Rose not only gave him her phone, but also the key to the TARDIS. Uh, and thus they would have access to all of time and space. They would make the news. She is able to counteract that and, you know, set him free from the thing. Also starts rerouting the heat from the bottom of the ship, the space station, to the top to try and burn out the the creature. It ends up exploding. But, yeah, in the end, the Doctor, after having seen what Adam does with a bit of access to time travel, sends him home. And yes, now he has a hole in his head, his mom ends up snapping her fingers, and she sees that he has a hole in his head now. And that's how that storyline ends. Overall, it's okay, though Adam... It really felt like they they were like, oh yeah, you know, a new another companion should open up infinite you know story paths, and then they were like, what do we do with this guy? Make him a warning, I guess, and then fuck him off because they really don't use him at all. In fact, they don't even really use his quote unquote genius background. Of course, it was also heavily implied in the previous episode that he's a bit of an idiot and he's just kind of making it up. Because a lot of the, like, the quote-unquote weapons he was harboring away to potentially, you know, fight his way out of the museum if he had to, uh, were broken or not actually weapons. So there's that. Uh, the effects, this one uses a lot of CGI for the creature. Like I said, it looks like a uvula, so it's very smooth and whatnot. Though I will say that the, like, ice effects in the space station, pretty cool. Though it also feels like they, they reused a lot of the space station, like, set piece from the second episode. It's a bit of a mess. <laughs> anyway, overall, the, the story episode, the story of the episode's okay. It feels like they just really didn't know what to do with Adam, so they were like, we'll, we'll, get, we'll make him an example of, like, misusing time travel. And, you know, how the Doctor's willing to just immediately drop you. If, if you mess up, that leads us to the next episode, Father's Day. Rose asks the doctor to take her back to her father's death. She kind of explains her father to him and that he died after being hit by a car in a hit-and-run accident and he was left to die alone. No one was there with him. And she asked the doctor to take him... She asked the doctor to take her back to him so that she can be the one... To be with him when he dies. Because she feels that he shouldn't die alone. When given the chance. She is kind of stunned. And is not able to move. She ends up watching her father die. Asks for a redo. The doctor complies. And tells her to wait for the previous versions of them to leave. So that she can then run out and be with him when he dies. Well instead she decides to run out and save him. The previous versions of the doctor and... Rose disappear, a different kind of branching timeline begins. So she's able to interact with her dad and whatnot. The doctor is obviously very mad, and she plays it off like the reason he's mad is that her dad said that the doctor was her boyfriend, and that is a bit of a distinction that she tends to get mad about all the time for some reason, even though. It's understandable, seeing as she's willing to run off with him at the drop of a hat. They end up going to the wedding, but there's these cr creatures that are attacking, and the car that had hit him 
or was supposed to hit him, keeps like popping in and out of time. Like it pops in, like rounds a corner, and then disappears. These creatures start coming around and like eating people. They all converge on the, everyone in the story kind of converges on the church and they're stuck in the church and have to talk about it and work their way around figuring out what, how to solve the problem. The doctor sees that the key is to the TARDIS is glowing. So it means that the TARDIS is still active. They just need to summon it to them. It's a bit of a thing. Cause so when she first does it, he, you know, says that he's going to leave her there and he's going to go, get the TARDIS and whatnot, and he's just going to leave. And of course, she calls him on his bluff, saying that he's not going to leave her behind and whatnot. But when he gets to the TARDIS, he finds that the interior's gone. So when the, the glowing key thing is like, oh, he, you know, he can actually summon the actual TARDIS to him and should be okay. All this time, Rose has also been learning that her dad isn't quite the man that her m mom had made him up to be. You know, it's a whole lesson on how the, you know, when someone dies, you tend to look more favorably upon them than you might have when they were alive. You're a bit more generous in the telling of their story. Um, and how that kind of harms a person's expectation of them, but usually there's no harm done because well, they're never going to meet them because they're dead. She She learns that her dad was a bit of a, you know, a failure. He kept trying to, he had a bunch of schemes that he was pulling, you know, selling health drink and whatnot. And he was trying to invent stuff. And it was just, he just wasn't having any luck. And her mother was just about done with him, ready to just probably like, it was like, there was a good chance that their relationship was doomed. Like it would end in divorce in like a year or two if he hadn't died but it's also shown that he might have cheated on her mom potentially more than once now to be fair her mom is a generally relatively paranoid person who tends to jump to conclusions a lot but there is a non-zero chance that he actually did cheat on her but yeah so anywho he eventually comes to the realization that something's wrong with rose and is able to deduce that Rose is his daughter. Then, he's also able to deduce that he's supposed to be dead. He wasn't actually part of her life and whatnot. Uh, the doctor is able to successfully summon the TARDIS. But, while her dad is trying to explain to... While Rose's dad is trying to explain to her mom that Rose is... Well, Rose, the baby that they have right there... He ends up handing the baby to Rose. And it's been explained that Rose should not touch the baby because it would create a paradox and thus summon more of those creatures. Well, she ends up touching the baby, summons another creature, who then ends up eating the doctor. So, yeah. <laughs> he ends up realizing that he needs to die. Uh, Rose's dad ends up realizing that he needs to die. So he makes the sacrifice. He grabs his little vase, you know, wedding gift, goes out. And lets himself get hit by the car that you know keeps popping in and out of existence. And that is now the new way he died. Very confusing story. Because it's now been changed to... He just decided to walk out of the church and get hit by a car. <laughs> but 
you know, with his death, everyone that was killed by those creatures comes back, and Rose is then able to be there with him when he dies. And that's the episode. Overall, I'm willing to say it's a pretty sweet episode. Um, the effects are okay. The creatures are fine. Otherwise, it's another situation where they use like two sets and that's about it. Now, this feels like it's supposed to be the second episode of the series. Because the Doctor assumes that when she saw that he had a time machine, she immediately jumped on the opportunity to save her dad. She tries to explain to him that that's not what she was meaning to do. It was just a spur-of-the-moment situation because she had just watched him die. She felt that she needed to save him. But the Doctor still, of course, feels hurt by her for, you know, abusing the use of the time machine like this. So, yeah. It's also shown early on because they not only go to see his death, they go see the wedding between him and her mother. And it is shown that the wedding is almost certainly a, one of the shotgun variety. Basically, he got her pregnant with Rose. A wedding was forced at that point because he's not able to really fully remember her name during the vows. But yeah, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, so the reason I feel that this episode's placed wrong is one, it comes immediately after another don't fuck around with time travel episode where she theoretically would have learned the lesson. Two, it has the feeling of they haven't already had that many adventures together kind of feel. Like it's a thing that she's asking of him because ooh, time machine. And, you know, doesn't feel like the eighth episode kind of episode. It feels like the second or third even episode. I can understand why they might have, like, if it was initially intended to be an early episode, I can see why they might have shifted it forward a bit because, you know, they wanted to have a bit more of a stronger introduction to Doctor Who and how varied it could be. Because this, this is a relatively small-scale episode. Again, a, like half of it's spent inside of a church. So, you know, small-scale. But yeah, it's also where things start getting a bit more strained. Like, by this time, you feel how thin the Doctor's, you know, nice, happy, happy-go-lucky shell is. You know, he's willing to snap in an instant. And he gets mad, like super mad. But yeah, again, we'll talk about the characters. We'll talk about the characters at the end. This is going to be a long episode, by the way. So buckle up. We're we're almost there, but it's a long time. Episode nine: The Empty Child. The Doctor and Rose are in the time machine, chasing down a thing. What is it? The Doctor doesn't know. He wants to find out. He's chasing it. He also sees that it's going to land on Earth. And he wants to see what it is. They land and start looking for it. Now, it landed a month before them. You know, he, so he, he's going around asking questions in a bit of a silly way. Because I guess he didn't check any of the inf instruments or whatnot to see that they're in the middle of World War II. They're in London in the middle of World War II. Specifically, the Blitz. So, he goes off to a bar to ask questions. He asks, you know, 
if they've seen anything falling from the sky before realizing, oh, wow, I'm an idiot. Because there's posters around the room about the Blitz. So there's that. Rose starts wandering off because she sees a child asking questions about where his mother is. Eventually, while trying to climb up to get to the child, she she just finds a rope and starts climbing it. And boom, an air raid starts. And she's on an air raid balloon that starts floating away through the city. The doctor starts running around investigating, as the doctor is one to do, uh, and ends up... Well, after he leaves the, the bar, he hears a phone ringing, goes and finds that it's the TARDIS ringing, and he's very confused because the phone's not connected to anything, so it shouldn't work. A girl appears and asks, Hey, um... Well, not... She doesn't ask. She says, Hey, you shouldn't answer that. Uh, just, just don't answer it. Even if it... Just, just don't answer it. And then she disappears. Because <laughs> he keeps asking, like, It shouldn't even be ringing. Why is it ringing? It's not connected to anything. It's not a real phone. Why is it ringing? And he answers it. And he gets the question, Where's my mummy? Are you my mummy? And, of course, he's confused and hangs up the phone. He ends up following the girl he, he's able to find her after just kind of wandering around and finds out that she is like an orphan who has been taking care of other orphans during the blitz she'll go into a house and break in steal the food to take to the homeless children or she'll also call up any um, homeless children around with a whistle to bring them in and take care of them she you know, feeds them, takes care of them, and whatnot. And it's the doctor's able to kind of deduce after he has dinner with them that she's doing it because she lost someone during the Blitz. She's kind of doing it to make up for the loss. But she's also he also finds out that she's been hounded by this kid because the kid shows up during dinner, and he he starts figuring out a bit about the kid. She explains that there's nothing inside. It's not, you know, really a kid. But yeah, so he goes to open the door and it's gone because it's kind of specifically chasing her. Though, technically, shh, you don't know about that yet. But he ends up following her to her little hideout. He ends up following her to her little hideout and he asks her, you know, go on, you, you're not telling me everything. The bomb... When I told, when I asked about the bomb, you obviously knew something about it. The bomb that isn't a bomb that fell a month ago. So she's like, yeah, that, it's over here in this place. And he's like, take me to it. And she's like, no. And he's like, come on, you've got nothing better to do. So she says, fine. So takes, or, he, you know, they go. She tells him to go to the hospital, talk to the doctor there. And after talking to the doctor, you might not want to go near the bomb. So he, after sending her off, agrees, goes, talks to the doctor. The doctor explains that, well, he notices going around that there's a bunch of people wearing gas masks. He asks why they're wearing gas masks. The doctor explains that they're not. The disease, the problem, he, like, he, he has the doctor investigate each body or each person, shows that they all have the exact same injuries. And he explains that it's injuries as plague. So, 
you know, you touch the person that has the gas mask and you end up with the same injuries, a scar on the back of the hand, um, you know, crushed ribs and brain injury, like a head injury, and then a gas mask stuck to your face. So it's kind of at this time that we should probably talk about what's happening with Rose. Last we left her, she was dangling from a balloon. Well, uh, she dangles from that balloon for a really long time, actually. Uh, while, you know, German bombers are flying through the air and the RAF are flying through the air, she's just hanging onto a balloon until she's spotted by Jack Harkness, who, or also known as Captain Jack, who is an American. He spots her and is able to bring her in using a tractor beam and, you know, saves her. She has cuts on her hands from, you know, holding on to the rope of the balloon for so long. And she gets healed by the, like, nanites or nanobots or whatever you want to call them in the ship. That just automatically heal her hands. She's healed by the nanites or whatever you want to call them that just kind of automatically heal her hands. So... Her and Jack get to talking and flirting. Jack asks if she's a time agent. Rose doesn't deny this and is playing with it. And so he explains that there is a warship that crashed there about a month ago that, you know, he can sell to them. And that he was a former time agent and whatnot. And, you know, he can broker this deal and everything, but needs to know if her companion... Uh, is the one that's able to fully broker the deal. So they go find him. They go find him and meet up at the hospital. Now, at the hospital, the doctor that they were talking to um, had just died or just become one of the masked people. It's revealed that, you know, they're all kind of synced together and everything. They go through, figure things out, after escaping the hospital, they start to work their way towards the the crashed thing. Um, so does the homeless girl. They all kind of meet up in this in the place. The homeless girl ends up, you know, captured by the British military. She's you know panicking because the officer that she's left with is very obviously you know sick with the the injury thing and the the main reason that they're going to investigate this this crashed thing is that it is the cause of whatever's going on basically jack explains that he towed it there it was a big scam because you know obviously the doctor and rose aren't actually time agents so he he's like you guys aren't time agents the scam would have worked like this I bring this in, drop it in a place, no harm, no foul, where there's no one there. I sell it to the time agents. They buy it. Bomb drops on it. It gets destroyed. Oh, well. That sucks. It's a it's a hell of a shame. They never find out that what he was selling wasn't actually in a, you know, a warship. It was an ambulance. So, no harm, no foul. But it turns out that much harm, much foul. After they free the homeless girl, they go to investigate the thing. And he's like, see, look, there's nothing inside of it. 
it's fine. The doctor points out that the, you know, the thing was likely full of the, like, microbot thing, similar to what he had in his ship, or what uh, Jack had in his ship. So, after explaining that, Jack's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So, basically, he accidentally dropped it on a kid. The kid being, well, up to this point, the homeless girl's brother. But, accidentally dropped it on that. The nanites got out. You know, they released as they're supposed to. And the first thing they came across was the kid. But, since they are an alien, you know, healing device, they don't know what a human's supposed to be. So it just kind of does its best until it's alive. Thus, the kid was the result. And now that it... The idea is that now that they were able to get it up and moving, boom, we now know what a human's supposed to be. Fix the rest. So that's why they were all turning into the, the mask people. How do they fix it? It turns out the homeless girl isn't the kid's brother. She was actually the kid's mother, so she must confess to the kid that she is his mother. She does, gives it a hug. The nanites then read her DNA, compare it to the kids, see that the kid and her share the same DNA. And since she is the parent, she must be what is actually a human and thus use her as the template to fix everyone else. That's how the plot's resolved. And the Doctor has a big exclamation that, for once, everyone can live. Although, Jack is decides to make a bit of a sacrifice. He takes the bomb that was supposed to drop on uh, the ambulance thing and take it away. But since it was set to detonate anyway, he's only able to delay it. But the stasis is decaying, and he's almost certainly going to die. Except, he doesn't. The Doctor and Rose come in at the last moment to save him. Boom, doom But yeah. <laughs> so, that is... That's actually two episodes, sorry. That's The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. So, it was another two-parter. Boom, surprise, shock, awe, horror. It was another two-parter. I actually had forgotten that it was a two-parter, to be honest. <laughs> they do a lot of running around that hospital. So, that's pretty much what a big chunk of chunk of it is now since it was a two-parter it was the empty child and the doctor dances was it worth being a two-parter in this case i'm willing to say yes well in theory you could have condensed it down it does a better job than one of the previous episodes of introducing a new character that actually you know seems to stick around afterwards and it also has well, it's still a relatively cheap way of doing a monster. You know, it's just a bunch of people in gas masks. They were able to use it much more effectively than the mannequins. Or, than... Well, than the mannequins, for, like, simplicity. And also had a lot more weight than the CGI Slovenes. You know, it it's also very iconic now. The, you know, Are You My Mummy thing terrifying it's just so fucking creepy but yeah so it all like i said it introduces jack and jack actually stays with the crew he joins them as they go back to cardiff now this episode this specific episode is boom town it shows that jack the doctor and rose 
have had are like super close now now this is the only time it is implied that they had a lot more adventures in between episodes because there's a lot of discussion with mickey because rose once again starts having a discussion with mickey there's the discussion of them going on other adventures and this is the only time that it's happened so i'm willing to say that between the doctor dances in boomtown there was a lot of adventures that happened that brought rose jack and the doctor much closer in a potentially pseudo poly relationship because it's also heavily implied that while they act they all never actually did anything with each other they they're in a happy coexisting relationship together <laughs> Because it is heavily implied that Jack is, well, it's not really implied, it's almost fully shown that Jack's bi and is happy with both Rose and the Doctor. And the Doctor reciprocates, almost certainly, because he, at the end of the Doctor dances, he's like, oh, I, I remember, I can dance. And he starts dancing. She says, uh, well, I was thinking of, you know, letting Jack take this dance. And the Doctor says, yes, but with who? Suggesting that the Doctor was going to dance with Jack. You know, a fun little thing. But yeah, anyhow, with that out of the way. So they have stopped back in London. Well, not London, in Cardiff, where they were in Victorian times. And they are there to recharge. Specifically on the riff that was kind of created by the Geth back in that episode. So they're using that to charge the TARDIS. And they're using it as an opportunity to take a bit of a vacation there. They hang out with Mickey. They have a good time. They hang out, but then they are shown that, uh-oh, there's a bit of an issue. One of the Slovene from the previous episode, uh, you know, the previous two-parter, one of the previous two-parters, is still alive. And she is mayor of Cardiff now, and she's he uh, spearheading a nuclear power plant. This episode ends up being a bit of a toned-down episode with a bit more drama to it, where they catch her relatively easily, foil her plan of building a nuclear power plant. There's a discussion of, you know, sending her back home. But she doesn't want to go back home because if she goes back home, she'll be executed. So there's a big discussion of her pretty much trying to convince the doctor to just let her go. And he pretty much, you know, ends up refusing. But an earthquake thing starts happening and they rush back to the TARDIS to see that the TARDIS is opening the, um, the, the rift that's there. And that's not good. Basically, she tricked them into taking the, the thing. It was her backup plan. Because she had this device and her plan was to have the nuclear power plant collapse the rift and destroy the earth and she would use this like essentially a space surfboard to surf the destruction to freedom and she in case of her arrest she made it to where whoever was arresting her would also charge the thing and cause the rift to collapse and destroy the world and she would be able to then you know same plan different um different steps i guess but anywho, she's able to, she starts to do that, but then because it would destroy the TARDIS, the TARDIS ends up opening up, she sees into the heart of the TARDIS, and is turned into Egg. They take her back home, so that she can be placed in the hatchery, and given a second chance. You know, a chance to to start again. The, the B-plot of the episode is the relationship of Rose and Mickey, where we can start to discuss the characters. The biggest issue of this season is everyone is a bit of a dick. In some cases, more ways than more ways than others. You know, at first you feel bad for Mickey because he gets abandoned by Rose not once but twice. Then he comes running to her 
and immediately suggests, you know, after they catch the baddie, and the baddies, you know, giving him all the creeps, he suggests her and him getting a hotel together, very obviously implying that he wants to sleep with her after, you know, they go for a bit of a walk. But on that walk, she's talking too much about the adventures her, the doctor, and Jack have been having. He outright tells her that he's been seeing someone. And she's like, oh, immediate dick move. It means that he very obviously, while dating someone, decided to potentially sleep with her. Not cool. But she also starts acting as if, like, this is a bit of a, a rudeness. But he explains to her that, you know, she left. She's gone. The only reason that he didn't move on when she was gone for a year is that, well, he was a suspected murderer. You know, everyone thought that he had murdered her. So, in the six months since uh, the last appearance of her, he did move on, kind of. The minute she called, he came running. And he, you know, blows up at her saying, do you expect me to, to always wait for you? Because I will. But, yeah, it, it's a bit of a thing. Because he also ends up suggesting still going to a hotel. And she's like, don't you have a girlfriend he's like oh, yeah fair enough i guess but yeah it's a it's a mess everyone's a bit of a dick rose keeps leading mickey on and not just cutting him off the thing that she really should have done she should have set him free but instead she just towed him along and then he you know very obviously had a girlfriend but was willing to drop it at the mere mention of rose not a cool move it's it's rough everyone's just a bit of a dick the doctor, his patience for men is relatively thin, but for women is a bit thicker. But he will snap. He, his patience is still very, very thin. And I understand that this is supposed to be the trauma doctor. He's the one that's traumatized. He's the one that, well, technically they're all traumatized, but he's the one that's not able to handle it quite so easily. <laughs> because he, he will snap. He will snap at a moment's notice, and it it's rough. But yeah, he is willing to give the the baddie a second chance though when she gets turned into egg so you know he still has a underlying heart the effects for this episode aren't really there's only a few things that are kind of neat there's an entire like discussion like conversation scene with um the baddie in her alien form which is nice again she's turned into egg which is funny and the rift causes cracks throughout the city and they stay like when the rift ends like they're able to stop it the damage is still there which i appreciate because as i mentioned in the specials just this past last week when a similar thing happened and you know the blade drive causes a bunch of destruction throughout london when they reverse it and stop it well it just undoes all the damage too so you know it lacked consequence but in this first season well, they were willing to have more consequence and more damage done to the city, obviously. But yeah, so that's that's that episode. You know, it, it's one of the more trying episodes because it definitely reveals, boy, no one, no one's okay. Everyone's a fucking dick. It's, it's a rough episode to get through. But then we go to Bad Wolf. Now, throughout the season, of course, there's been a sprinkling of the term Bad Wolf. And you would think that this would be the culmination of that but it's not. This is actually the last two-parter of the season. So it's Bad Wolf and The Parting of Ways, technically the end of the season, though there's one more episode, which is the introduction of the new Doctor. It's the 2005 Christmas special. But anyway, Bad Wolf and Parting Ways. So overall, it technically is part of the culmination, but it's not. The Doctor, Rose, and Jack are, they all wake up 
in TV shows, in futuristic versions of, well, technically still modern TV shows. Rose is on The Weakest Link, um, The Doctor is in Big Brother, and Jack, I don't know what the show's uh, called, because they don't mention the name in, in the show. They don't mention the name in the show, and I just don't know it. It feels like a British version of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, where it's like two... Well, I, I'm guessing in the original show it's supposed to be like two women picking out um, clothes for a guy or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's definitely supposed to be one of those like, oh my god, your fashion's so terrible, so let's, you know, zhuzh you up kind of thing. Except for now it's led by two two robots. Weakest Link is led by an android. And Big Brother is just led by a bunch of cameras. So, the big thing with this is the doctor trying to figure out how to get out of big brother while rose tries to survive weakest link when she finds out that oh the weakest links get zapped and the guy next to her the one that you know helped her when she first teleported in he's trying to you know strategically vote uh the other people out except for rose because he finds her really dumb you know because she's not from that time period he plans to strategically vote everyone else out so that he has an easy win at the end, so that he can get all the money. And then Jack, he just rolls with it, honestly. Like, his show is them just trying to style his clothes while, um, I guess, destroying whatever he's wearing until they get the right style. You know, he, he rolls with it for the most part. And his story doesn't really culminate until near the end of the episode anyway, when they're breaking out of their respective shows. So, the Doctor, he's asking questions around, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And when one of the housemates is voted out, he's like, well, she'll be fine. She'll, you know, write a story, write a book about it, her experience and everything, and she'll make she'll make a ton of money. She'll be fine. But he doesn't realize that, you know, getting voted out means they get disintegrated. They get zapped with a laser. Of course, same thing with the the weakest link. And the big danger with, with Jack's thing is that after a certain while, they, like, they hint about it throughout the episode a bit here and there about him getting cosmetic surgery. And he's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about maybe a touch-up here or there. And they're thinking, oh, you're not thinking big enough. In the end of his section, they're like, oh, you know, we'll cut off your head and replace it with a dog's head or maybe just leave it with no head at all. Take your leg, stick it in the middle of your chest, that kind of thing. And he's like, no. And he pulls a blaster out of nowhere. <laughs> he pulls a blaster out of nowhere and shoots them. Then he starts configuring the the clothes gun to be able to carry it around and potentially use it as an actual gun gun. But yeah, he they go for a bit of a wander. Or he, well, he breaks out of there like that. The doctor breaks out because he decides to get himself eliminated by damaging the show's property. He gets immediately eliminated, goes into the elimination chamber. They don't disintegrate him because they want him alive. He figures that, you know, he was brought here for a reason. So, yeah. There's also a bit of a flashback where they say that they had just left the planet where they dropped off Egg. And they were hanging about. They had gone to Japan. They were about to go somewhere else when all of a sudden they were zapped into the show. That That's the flashback he had. Anyway. He's able to break out. He takes one of the contestants that he's become fond of, takes her with him. They meet up with Jack. The doctor finds out that this is all technically because of him. Now, it's not fully because of him, but it is partially because of him. So, he's told that when... Well, he comes to the realization that 
this is Station 5 from the previous episode. Which episode was that called? The Long Game. So this is Station 5 a hundred years later. She explains to him that, you know, a hundred years ago, when he was on the station, all of a sudden, all of the news stopped. No one was left with, so everyone was left without information, no heading. So all of a sudden, governments collapsed, and the world pretty much fell into ruin. And so the Doctor realizes that because of his intervention, he kind of caused this. And, of course, feels very bad. They eventually are able to pinpoint where Rose is, and they rush off to, to you know, save her from her show as she is about to lose. She does, and she gets zapped. The Doctor goes into a bit of a state of shock as Rose got zapped. They're carted away by security, because they were holding... <laughs> They were holding the studio hostage, but they get hauled away by security. Then they break out of um, containment, rush up to the 500th floor, confront the, you know, floor manager. And it, it turns out that she's the one that brought the doctor and everyone there. She was put in place by her masters to, you know, run things. But yeah, she was given access to stuff and she found out that they're only scared of one thing, the doctor. So she had to bring him in, and that's how he got there. Uh, she's only able to really communicate with them during the solar flare, but it kind of breaks out, and she kind of goes in, back into work mode before she's able to tell them who it is. Uh, Jack finds the TARDIS, is able to figure out what's going on. He finds out that the disintegrator isn't actually a disintegrator. It's pretty much a teleportion or teleporting beam. That's, that's the situation that's going on. They're able to, like, Rose is alive. They, they can save Rose. But they have to figure out where she went. Well, at that time, the floor manager, who's this woman who's, like, hooked into the station, she starts giving the doctor coordinates. He's able to pinpoint where she is and use that information to, you know, figure out, figure out where she is. They get the location. They look. The uh, floor manager's teleported away and killed. They see the location. They are able to uncloak the the uh, thing because the station is being used to hide their location and has been for a long time. He, you know, breaks the signal to reveal them, and it is the Daleks. It is an entire army of Daleks, and that is pretty much where that episode ends. You know, with the Doctor promising to get Rose and whatnot. Then I guess we should go straight into Parting Ways, the pseudo-finale of the season, though technically episode 14, The Christmas Invasion, is the quote-unquote proper finale. But in this episode, it's pretty much a siege. So they determine that they have to pretty much hold out in the station. You know, the Doctor goes, saves Rose, gets her back. Since the Daleks have been uncloaked, they are going to begin their invasion of Earth, taking it over you know, forming it for Daleks. But the Doctor plans on trying to hold them off at the station, using, you know, the people within the station to fight, and then lure them in to kill the Daleks with a Delta Wave, or a D-Wave, or whatever they call it. But, you know, do that. They focus the shielding around the top of the building, so that the Daleks can't attack the top of the station. They would have to actually infiltrate the station and work their way up. In theory, they'll just go up, they'll ignore down, because, well, there shouldn't be any targets down as far as they know. 
Except not everyone on the station agrees to fight, so they are left at uh, floor zero. They're told to stay quiet uh, while everyone else fights the Daleks. They all break off into their respective groups to defend certain floors and start defending. The Doctor starts to work on the Delta Wave while Rose assists and everyone else starts working to fight. And the last line of defense is put up and the Daleks invade. Now during the Dalek invasion, it's a pretty straightforward thing. They do go floor to floor. Uh, there's some clever usage of like the weakest link robot or android but she's a little too slow because she has to say you are the weakest link before shooting so she's only able to get through like one very small wave of daleks the daleks work their way up the doctor comes to the realization that the delta wave is not going to be well it'll be ready in time but there's an issue so he sends rose away he you know feigns having this brilliant plan to use the TARDIS to boost the power and whatnot to get the Delta Wave uh, ready in time. Because that's what she thinks, that it's not going to be ready in time. But instead, he sends her back home. So, after sending her back home, the truth comes out that the wave will be ready in time, but it will kill everyone. It'll kill not only the Daleks, but the humans and him. It'll kill everyone. So he has to come to the decision on whether or not he is going to kill absolutely everyone again to stop the Daleks again, or if he's going to, well, not. As the Daleks end up working their way through, they kill the last Big Brother contestant. They work their way up until Jack's the only one left. Jack holds them off as long as possible until he gets zapped. Meanwhile... Uh, Rose has been trying her best to get back while coping with the whole situation and she comes up with a plan to like rip open the TARDIS to look into the the heart of the TARDIS and communicate telepathically with the TARDIS to get back to the doctor. It's a very long convoluted plan but it does end up working in the end. She comes to the conclusion that the word bad wolf that we've been seeing throughout the series, now finally explained, is a message from space and time to her to get back to the Doctor. It's basically the message that her efforts will pay off and she'll be able to do it. So she continues working to rip the panel open to see into the thing, and she then becomes the bad wolf entity who is able to see all of space and time everything that has been is and will be she's able to see all of space and time you know everything that has been is and will be and it's become a bit much for her she has become essentially a god she is able to get her way back to the doctor after he's made his decision of not willing to actually detonate the the delta wave she Destroys the Daleks, revives Jack, but realizes that the power is a bit much, so the Doctor is able to pull it from her with a kiss, and he dispenses it back into the TARDIS, and they're able to leave. Story wrapped up, though it's a bit of a shame that she didn't revive the other people that were killed by the Daleks on the space station, or, you know, 
as far as can be told, she didn't revive any of the people on the planet, which got bombed earlier in the episode. So there's a big old question mark there as to whether or not whether or not everything is okay there. We'll see. Anywho, it is then at this point that the Doctor, while they're in the TARDIS, comes to the realization that he's dying. So he has a discussion with Rose, saying that, oh, you know, he would have loved to take her to Barcelona. And she's like, well, why don't we go? And he's like, you know, specifically not Barcelona the place, but Barcelona the planet, where there's, you know, dogs with no noses, etc. But, yeah, he's like, well, I mean, I can't. At least not this version of me. I'm dying taking in all that energy you're not supposed to do i'm dying and she's like isn't there anything that you can do about it he's like i am and that's what i'm doing it's just that i might not be me it's a bit of a finicky process i could be anything i could be anyone we'll see and then he regenerates into david Tennant, and then says so where were we oh yeah barcelona and then the episode ends that's that so was this worth being a two-parter absolutely I'm not a big fan of the fact that for the big finale, or, well, again, pseudo-finale, they, definitely the end of Eccleston, at least, they reused a set. They reused the space station from, from, like, the eighth episode. So, sorry, seventh episode. So, it's a bit sad there, but, I mean, hey, the Daleks return, the only major returning enemy uh, for this season. But, overall, it was pretty good uh jack ends up getting left behind and he just kind of has like this well fuck look on his face when that happens but yeah that's how ecclestein ends but now time for a new beginning with the christmas invasion oh actually before we do that there is an explanation so because i was actually sitting here kind of confused for a second because i was like okay so they're teleporting the people away what what's happening to those people so, like, ooh, they weren't disintegrated. Why weren't they brought back? And where were they? I only, like, kind of just now realized, oh, right. Because a big plot of that, the whole thing, is that the Dalek Emperor is was able to survive the Time War. His ship survived. And he has been making new Daleks using humans. Specifically, he's been using the failures, like the contestants that lost, as the basis for the Daleks and like he's been churning them out on mass that's how he's been making them and because you know they aren't quote-unquote pure Daleks they've gone insane and the emperor has been making himself up as like a god making the Daleks worship him as such and he, he deems himself a creator and whatnot but yeah so that, that was just a thing the dalek spaceships looked cool the daleks looked cool mostly again like the effects overall pretty good and this time they actually show a thing that was mentioned earlier during the museum episode uh, dalek during that episode it was mentioned that the bullets are getting super close to the dalek but they're melting before they can actually reach it because of a force field around them and that if you aim at the stock you have a better chance of actually getting through like the little eye stock that they have and so in this, you actually see the bullets melting, and it's a point of like betrayal from some of the people because Jack had said that the security guards' guns were powerful enough to break through and you know hit the Daleks, but 
he he forgot to mention that they needed to directly aim at the stocks. He does mention it later, and someone is actually able to take a stock out, but the Dalek still stands. Yeah. Other than that, we can now move on to the new beginning. Christmas 2005, The Christmas Invasion. So, the Doctor and Rose don't go to Barcelona. They crash back in London, where Mickey and her mom Jackie rush out to meet them uh, to be met with a new face. They're not expecting the Doctor to have a new face, but he pretty much talks to them for a minute and then passes out, is taken to Jackie's home. Throughout the course of the episode, it's revealed that, oh, um, well, it's revealed that the MP from the Slovene episodes has now become the Prime Minister, and she, you know, has been spearheading a space mission to send a probe to Mars. That probe gets intercepted by something that is being attracted by the Doctor's release of energy. So... While Rose and Mickey are off Christmas shopping, because Rose needs to get something for her mom, they're attacked by these, like, robot things that just start attacking them. They also attack with a Christmas tree. It's all a little bit silly there. But, anywho, they, they do that. It's revealed that the probe was intercepted by a different alien species. Unit comes back. Because uh, unit was mentioned relatively early on. I think it was around around the Slovene episode is when unit was first mentioned in this season. Presumably, unit is actually something from way back when. I <laughs> like seeing unit in the specials. I was like, this feels familiar, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Because I was thinking like, oh, wasn't the secret agency that I'm thinking of Torchwood? But no, unit unit's been around this entire time. So, yeah, I was wrong. That's fine. Anyway, they are attacking, but the doctor's knocked out. He's only able to wake up for a little bit to destroy the tree. And the issue is he's still regenerating. Like, his, his insides are still working through it. And it takes, like, 15 hours or something for it to be fully done, according to, to David Tennant's doctor. And because, like... When things happen during his 15 hours, things happen. Menu. The Prime Minister is taken to the aliens after, like, one-third of their world's population are sent to potentially jump off of the building. Or any buildings. Because, like, basically, the guy who sent out the probe sent out, you know, the standard human thing to do. A bunch of information that's probably not going to be understood by aliens, uh, in theory. Sends all that information out, including uh, A-positive blood. Or at least type A blood. And, you know, so everyone that's standing on roof ledges has that blood type. So they're using some form of blood control to get people to the edge of buildings. You know, threatening to have them jump. Anyway... <laughs> They take the Prime Minister up and are trying to get her to surrender to where they, you know, human rights will be enslaved. She has also ordered some stuff, something from Torchwood. This is like the second mention of Torchwood um, to, to be brought up. Torchwood is a spin-off series that ends up helmed by Jack. 
and they're like supposed to be the UK's super secret alien hunting agency. Uh, but she's been having them prepare something. She also sends out a plea for the doctor, but he's he's still passed out. Rose tries to evacuate her mom and Mickey to the TARDIS with the doctor so that they can try to ride out whatever ends up happening to the human race. The TARDIS is kind of... They, they end up accidentally sending out a signal to the aliens by me messing with the TARDIS's um, dashboard. And they get teleported into the spaceship where some T's dropped into the TARDIS. And that ends up waking up the Doctor. And he proves that the aliens just couldn't have the people jump off using the blood control. Because the human survival instinct's too strong. Blood control can only do so much. It was basically just something to scare the human race into surrendering. You know, a relatively harmless tactic of spooking them with a lie. They retaliate with the, well, we'll just invade then. We'll do it the old-fashioned, bloody way. So David Tennis Doctor challenges the leader to a duel. They duel. He loses his hand. Gets a new sword, new hand. Because he says that within like the first 15 hours, you know, interesting stuff happens. And he is able to regrow his hand. They fight. David Tennant's doctor gets um, the commander down, you know, says, hey, surrender, and, you know, promise to not come back on the blood of your people, and, and you know, I'll let you live. The guy agrees, he starts leaving, but of course, you know, classic thing, the villain gets back up and starts trying to attack with, you know, their back to him. David Tennant throws an orange at a button that, like, for some reason opens a small section of the ship side, and the guy falls down to to the planet and dies. And the, there was, like, this big theme in the end of the episode where the Doctor's, like, talking about how he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what kind of person he's going to be. He's still, you know, feeling it out because, you know, he fully regenerated. He needs to figure out... What his personality is. When he throws the orange, or Satsuma, at the button, he says, no second chances. That's the kind of man I am. You know, and when he loses his hand and grows up a new one, he says, well, this is my fighting hand now. <laughs> so, you know, it, it sets up the Doctor as being a potentially more unforgiving kind of person as, as David Tennant's Doctor. And if I remember correctly, David Tennant's Doctor is a bit darker but he also is able to contrast it with a lot more lighter things probably because you know he has the ability to because he had more than one season to to actually have happier moments but he has christmas dinner with the family well after it he you know has a conversation with the prime minister about how he has a new face and everything and talks to her everything the the Aliens leave. She's then told that Torchwood's uh, thing is done and ready to go. So she tells them to fire. And this big old laser thing comes out from around the UK and shoots up into space and destroys the ship. 
And she tells the doctor why she did it. She says that he's not around all the time. You know, just, you know, while he was asleep, two of her, like, leading people, the one for the space thing and one of the generals, were killed in front of her. And he was asleep. So she needed something more. And he tells her that he can end her career, end her whole government with just one word. And she says, you're a great man, but even you can't do that. And he's like, you're right. I can end it with six. Just six. Just six. And she's like, no, you can't. What? And he goes over to her aide, takes his little earpiece out, and whispers into his ear, does she look tired to you? Or something like that. Something to that effect. Basically questioning her health. Which is basically, you know, just it, it's a small sentiment that spreads concern leading to a vote of no confidence in which she's then pretty much ousted from the government. But yeah, so then he has Christmas with the family and they get outside to see the snow, but it's not snow, it's actually ash from the from the crumbling spaceship that's coming down to earth and then they're off to start their new adventures. That's the the end. We did it. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the first season of Doctor Who. Now let's talk the characters. Like I said, everyone's a bit of a dick. Rose for leading Mickey on. And also she just has a lot of annoying moments. This is not the best Rose stuff that we get. Obviously it gets better as like the the David Tennant era properly begins. But this was rough. I think overall, as an introduction to Doctor Who, this was a bit of a rough season. It had a lot of highlight moments, but it was a little rough. That's the best way I can describe it. Mickey's a dick for trying to sleep with Rose, even though he moved supposedly moved on, and then still didn't move on, even though he said he was pretty much implied that he was ready to move on. They should have just had him do that. Like, I liked the fact that he properly confronts her about the fact that he just abandoned him twice. But he also just doesn't doesn't properly, like, commit to, to leaving. Which is a bit of a shame. Jack's pretty good, but he's... He's more than just a womanizer. He's a everyone-izer. He... He goes for everything. <laughs> and he, he's not afraid to show it, which is fun. But he also is definitely using it as a manipulation tactic. Because um, when he thinks that Rose is a time agent, he's definitely trying to to get a good price, as it were. Um, but yeah. I think overall, pretty good. There's one legacy villain, some interesting concepts here and there, some rough episode orders that could have been, would have worked better if rearranged slightly. Because, say for example, the uh, the Father's Day episode was episode two. That would establish early on that, you know, you shouldn't fuck with time. It would establish why he 
is now zero tolerance on any time shenanigans that gets get pulled, which would then help further explain, you know, why he's so ready to kick the guy out, uh, Alex out. You know, I think it would work a little bit better if it was just arranged a little bit more like that. But I do get that they want to get to some of the more wacky stuff that you can do with time travel, like the end of the world and going back to Charles Dickens' time and whatnot. You you want to focus more on that stuff than you do, say, my dad died and I want to go see his death. So, I again, I do understand why they chose that, that timing. But anyway, I think that that's pretty good. It's been a long enough episode as it is. Like, if I'm lucky when I edit this down, it'll be about an hour and a half. But there's a good chance... Um, it might be near two hours. <laughs> we'll see. But anywho, yeah. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you guys like this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe. When am I doing th season two? It's gonna be a little while. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a little while because this is a lot. <laughs> like w with. With Avatar The Last Airbender, it's not too bad because there's distinct arcs. At least sometimes there's distinct arcs. And it's a lot easier to kind of go through the episodes because they're each ha half an hour. These are four... This was 14 hour long episodes. So almost... Oh. Like, it would be almost the equivalent of 28 uh, Avatar episodes... But a lot more dense in variety of story. You know, because a lot of Avatar episodes can kind of be summed up in... Like, like the filler ones can be summed up in, like, one sentence. Like, oh, they... They went to this island and saw this thing. That's it. <laughs> this, it's, you know... Even the filler episode has, like, ten different things that happen in it. Because they have to fill an hour. But yeah, it's going to be a little while, at the very least a month. Maybe, maybe more. Because technically, so this episode comes out on January 1st, uh, New Year's. Which, by the way, again, I've recorded this before Christmas, so the newest episode of Doctor Who is not out yet. So I can't talk about it. But I do intend to try to keep up with the new Who and whatnot, especially since it's a little bit easier to get access to than before. So we'll see. But yeah, it's going to be a little while. Because this was a lot. I still also have to do do the third and final season of Avatar as well. So we'll see about doing that before I do episode two of this. How about that? <laughs> But with that said, once again, thank you guys so much for watching. If you guys liked my stuff, feel free to check out my YouTube where you can see this podcast, for example. You can like, comment, subscribe. Check out my um, live streams that hopefully, after this episode comes out, will be bountiful and frequent. We shall see. I'm also, I believe, currently at this time still doing Destroy All Humans. That should be going throughout at least the most, 
most of the rest of this month. Uh, potentially to February. We'll have to see. But once that's done, I will be doing Boulder's Gate 1. Because I think that that will be fun to do. And... Yeah. I, I intend to do a lot more live streams coming up soon, but... We'll see how much I'm able to do in my break. With that said, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.